Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. John Keane's After Auschwitz is a post-Holocaust documentary that follows six extraordinary women after the liberation from the Nazi concentration camps, capturing what it means to move from tragedy and trauma towards life. What happens to people after surviving an unspeakable horror? And these six women do a wonderful job of talking about their lives since the time that they were liberated from the most unspeakable horror imaginable. And the film is wonderful in that it focuses on a part of the Holocaust survivor story that I have not seen before. So we're fortunate to have with us the producer, writer, and the director of the film after Auschwitz, John Keane. John, welcome to Film School. Well, thank you very much. I'm thrilled to be here talking about the movie. Oh, good, good. Well, uh, first of all, it, it opens today in Los Angeles, so be, be on the lookout for it. We're going to be at the uh, the Lemley Music Hall in Beverly oh, Hills. That's right. Lemley. And the Town Center 5 in Encino. Okay, fantastic. Lemley Music Hall and the uh, Encino 5. Uh, that's also a Lemley, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, tell me a little bit about how you came to know these six extraordinary women and then what the process was for uh, for getting this uh, documentary done. I found these six women 15 years ago when I was working on a film that became Swimming in Auschwitz. The film was originally about laughter as a survival tool, and I interviewed 18 people, 10 women, 8 men, and I found them out of about 300 survivors living in the Los Angeles area. The film I wanted to make didn't work, so I was forced to come up with some other, uh, you know, I'd already done all this work, what, what story do I want to tell? And the stories of these women really jumped out at me, not just because they're so well-spoken and they're so great on camera, but because I had never heard stories of war through female voices. Mm-hmm. So I felt like this was a new voice with new stories to tell. And as soon as I started working on that movie, I realized that I wanted to make this next movie after Auschwitz, because that's when I realized that liberation was not a good day, and that that simple concept needed to be explored further. So approaching these women to do this, to, to talk about this part of their life and their experiences, tell us a little bit about that process. What happened in getting, or what was it like to try and get, and I'm sure each one of them had a different kind of take on what you wanted to do, but that process right. of getting them to, to come on board to do what you wanted to do. Sure. When you meet somebody for an interview and you show up with a film crew and you have this crazy concept of not just laughter as a survival tool but spiritual resistance in the camps, mm-hmm. people have a little bit of an odd reaction. They've got their guard up a little bit. Um, I think because I was younger and incredibly earnest and I did my research that they were open to me. They were very open to me. And these survivors want to talk. They want to be connected. Mm-hmm. Because when they came to America, nobody... Nobody engaged with them. Nobody asked them questions. So now that people are interested, they want to share that information. So they, they view me coming to talk with them as, as a means of helping their own, uh, their own personalities, their own, their own goals. Mm-hmm. So it was, a really, it, was, it was a really great process, but for the second film, when you've already interviewed somebody and made a film together, then you really get... The, the second set of interviews were, were much deeper, 
much more uh, emotionally engaging, I think, because we knew each other and trust, trusted each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's one of the things that's striking about it. And again, so much of this film, it answers questions that you really never considered. And But to hear their reaction to... Uh, or with them talking about their arrival in in America, and particularly in California, I think maybe even more acutely here in California, where if you brought up the subject of their, if they brought up the subject of their uh, time in in Auschwitz, or that people would say, I don't want to, no, no, don't, I don't want to know, or some reaction along those lines. Right. And really thought about it, but it was, I mean, it was well, a difficult. If, if, go ahead. I mean, if you if you think about it. They were really silenced for 35 years. Yeah. So after that, after the unspeakable trauma that they went through, you'd want to work through it. That's the best way to get healthy. But they were either told, you're in America, put it behind you. I don't want to hear about that. Or with Erica's case, when her cousin found out that they had looted a city looking for food, blamed her for stealing. That, oh, that's not right to do. You shouldn't steal. Yeah. You know, they were judged. So they shut themselves up as a survival tool. You know, these, these are people that knew how to survive, and they knew that talking about their trauma wasn't helpful because nobody wanted to hear. I want to dive into that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Why, why, did they, why did they not want to know? I mean, I, can, I think I know because it's, it's such a horrible thing, but well, there's got to be something more to it than just the sort of initial, for, initial reaction to the don't want to talk right. about negative things. What, what else do you think is going on you there? Know, we try to rationalize and figure out why Americans didn't want to engage in discussion of the Holocaust. Was it because we didn't react more when we knew? Was it because the Jews felt responsible in America for not doing more? Was it because we looked upon these survivors as, you know, sheep to the slaughter, the Hannah Arendt approach? You know, or religious people viewed their actions as wrong? Or was it because we as Americans, post-war, were in this new economy where it was all about consume, 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 spend, 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 move on, move on, move on, you know, have a Coke, drive a Chevy, and we were consumed in our own lives. I think it might be something as simplistic as we were consumed in our own lives, and we didn't open ourselves up to those around us. We didn't care about those around us. We cared about ourselves, which, which is something that is not, you know, not, it's a uniquely American kind of thing. Yeah. We, we are encouraged to pursue our own thing, and we don't stop and talk about the people around us. So I'm not sure if it's, a, if it's something that I originally thought, which was, like you said, oh, we, we were embarrassed, we were this, we were that, or we just didn't care. And I think it might be the latter. Do, do you think anti-Semitism had some, is some part of some reaction? Among, I'm not, this is, I'm making a, I'm not making a blanket statement. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, I mean, I just remember a little bit of the history in the lead up to World War II, and there was a significant portion of the population that didn't want us to fight the Germans. Now that by the by the even by that time, people must have understood what this regime was about. I, I just wonder. I, I don't. I don't know if there's an answer to this question, but I, it's this, well, it's it's hard hard to look past that. Well, that's a great topic. The topic of what did we in America know, yeah. and why did we do what we did or not do more than what we did? There's a great article that just came out. I think it was the New York Times last week yeah. about just that topic. What we knew. What we knew as a country as early as 32, 33. In fact, I think there's an exhibit at the USHMM in D.C., the Holocaust Memorial Museum. An exhibit about as early as 33. We knew. We knew what was going on. We knew in 42 
what was happening in the camps. We knew in 43, you know, Jan Karski came and talked to Roosevelt. We knew in 44 there were escapes from Auschwitz. There were pictures that were smuggled out. We knew. We knew what happened. So was anti-Semitism a reason behind that? It's kind of hard to ignore that. Um, I don't, but it's, it's a really interesting topic, why we didn't do more. Than what we did, right? I mean, it, we knew. Yeah, I mean, Charlie Chaplin did the Great Dictator in the what the thirties. I mean, there, there, or the early, early forties. I, I think it was, was it? Was it? Yeah, was it thirty nine? Thirty eight, thirty nine. I'm going to say. Right around, and, and again, people assume Charlie Chaplin was Jewish. He was not. Right, <laughs> and he was the only person who made a Hollywood film about what was happening in the world. Right, and the other part of this is, hey, we looked the other way in Rwanda. You know, there are, there oh, yeah. are tons of examples of, of around the world. So, it, to, I mean, again, I know the answer isn't completely or in any, I don't assume not in a significant way, anti-Semitism. It's just something about the world not wanting to know about this darkest, crazy behavior that we're capable of and would choose just right. to not know about it. Let's let's you know maybe it goes back to what I, and I don't I don't I feel like I'm being I'm being negative on, on, on humanity because I'm not. But I think people are too often in their own lane, and they don't stop to think. They don't stop to look around and see what's there. And if we don't stop to look around, we ignore what happened in Rwanda 23 years ago. You know, the Rwanda genocide had the misfortune to happen during the OJ trial and Jackie O dying. So if you look at Time magazine, Newsweek magazine, they did an exhibit at the Getty. They showed the magazine covers for the three months leading up to three months of the Rwandan genocide, and OJ or Jackie O were on almost every 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 week. Yeah. It wasn't until three months later and 800,000 people were murdered that Rwanda was on the front cover. Yeah. That, that, sums up, that sums up American society a little bit. It does. It does. Where our focus is. I know. I know. But there are other, I mean, right, there are ongoing gen, uh, genocides right now as we speak ro- yeah. in, in, in uh, Burma. In the Rohingya, yeah. The Rohingya, Myanmar, yeah. and also in, in Yemen. Yemen, Yemen yeah. is going through it. Sudan is going through it. So anyway, I want to come back to these extraordinary women because that's what your yeah. film is about. It's called After Auschwitz. We're speaking with uh, John Kane, and uh, the the film comes out as you said at the Lemley Music Hall Theater in Beverly Hills, as well as the Lemley Encino Theater in the city of Encino uh, this Friday. And um, so tell me, you know, again, I mean, let's talk about these women because they really are terrific. Uh, subjects and they're really just wonderful, full, you know, full character development in the in the course of the film. Uh, any any, I don't even know if we want to start picking up one or over another, but uh, the people that are, were really strong in terms of their story and their ability to articulate, I felt like Renee obviously yeah. is a terrific. Uh, as as well as Rena, as well as Eva. Let's just talk about Erica, <laughs> Lily, Linda. They were all really, yeah, really great. Yeah, it's like I know. There's six such unique personalities, yeah. and they all had their own their own sort of themes running through the film. But just extraordinary, beautiful, intelligent um, people, and mm-hmm. and and it, it just I, my life is so much better for having been around them. I mean, they really are. are just amazing, amazing individuals. Yeah. Now I know you started this process, I believe, in two thousand and nine, uh, and mm-hmm. time marches on, and we've lost a uh, three of them, I right. believe. Lost three, yeah. yeah. Um, well, well, just uh, for the world to know, and and you know, just to sort of uh, prime people's interest, uh, talk about if there's a sort of a consistent theme. Is there one thread that all all of these women have in common? 
So if we talk about commonalities in this film, it's harder because you're talking about 420 years of living mm-hmm. over, over 70 years, mm-hmm. you know, over six unique people. But the one thing that I, I, I do think ties them together is this, it's almost as if they're leading us on a path towards empathy, towards a path of understanding, a path of connecting, yeah. that, that they survived through luck. How they survived after the war were choices they made. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it, it really, to me, is a, is a roadmap towards a, a richer, deeper, more fulfilling life, uh, a way of being connected to yourself, your loved ones, your community. I, I love the fact that this film really shows L.A. It really shows Los Angeles in the second half of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. And it, it brings us as, in as Angelinos into this story because we recognize things. We see, we see our own history, but we see it through the eyes of a survivor. Yeah. And I think that's, that's one of the things that makes it unique. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that's true. I, I mean, if I were to say, if you asked me to say what it what they have in common, mm-hmm. uh, I would just say their ability to move on to their ability mm-hmm. to put their this time in this horrific time of their life in a in a perspective right. of the six. That's something I tried to. Uh, that's that was one of the things that drove the movie. Yeah. Was do you ever heal? Do you ever move on from trauma? And the answer is no, you never fully heal from trauma, but you do move on. You have to move on. Yeah. Like Renee says, and she said in a Q&A, somebody asked her, how do, you, how do you keep going every day? And Renee looked at this woman and just said, you're alive. Yeah. You're alive. You, 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 you have to hope that every day will be better and that there's something good will happen in that day because you are alive. Yeah. They, have, they have this perspective on the gift of waking up every morning right. and the possibility. Right. They do have that. And I will say they have a, I, I mean, I think all of them have a degree of a sense of humor about life, not certainly about what happened, mm. but I, I yeah. think, especially, I believe it's Eva that says, well, maybe I'm just shallow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that is Eva. <laughs> maybe I'm just superficial. Like, I don't think so, or but I, I don't dwell on things that make me miserable. There you go. That's what I meant. Yes. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's super- a brilliant line because she is anything but shallow. Right. None of these. Yeah. Yeah. And no. I, and, and, with, and some of the things, one reason to talk about uh, Renee uh, Firestone is that she had an extraordinary career yeah. at, uh, as a designer, a clothing designer. And her clothes are her clothes are in LACMA on display. She was one of the most influential designers of the 20th century in California, no question. Yeah, there and there and there's this wonderful moment when she is on stage. Um, no, yeah, on stage for the at the Lincoln Center for the, for the uh, Kennedy Center, the Kennedy Center Awards. Kennedy Center Awards. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and the other thing too, if you see the whole thing. She schooled them. Liam Neeson was on before Renee. Liam Neeson was stumbling over his lines, couldn't give the speech. Renee steps out there, nailed it. <laughs> They're just extraordinary. I, again, it's a really, really good film. And I will say what I read in one of the reviews, and I completely agree, and that is there's a, uh, there's a profound sense of the these women, the circumstances, and the things that uh, they have dealt with in their life. The film kind of sneaks up on you in that regard. It's profound, but in a way that just sort of it sort of it it sort of seeps into you as you're watching the film. And I, I think that's a testament to you as a filmmaker. I think that I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, I mean, since since the show is called Film School, I will say that I my goal as a filmmaker is to prevent to present six stories. 
I yeah. want to present six stories of these people into one story and let, let the audience take from it what it wants. I'm not going to tell the audience what to take. Yeah. And there's so many different paths to follow yeah. that as an audience member, you can go any way you want with this film. My wife can, uh, accused me of re-editing it three times <laughs> because the first three times she saw it, she thought it was a different movie. Oh. <laughs> There's just a lot in it. <laughs> there, there is a lot of in it. And by the way, again, another thing about the film, even though I feel like over the course of you know the last seventy years, we or sixty years, we've seen a lot of footage of the of the death camps. There was a lot of footage in here I had not seen before, and not that I'm an expert in this field, but it, it and that's what I, part of what I'm talking about. This sort of profound sense in watching the film is yeah. uh, it felt. God, how do I say this and not sound callous? But it felt uh, uh, like a new experience seeing seeing right. this again, because there was there was a certain there was not a certain there was a a callousness to to the way the film portrays what happened, which is a completely accurate uh, rendering of what what was going on. And I and I just feel like I, I think we're we can kind of lose sight of that, you know, through uh, dramatic narrative films, we can kind of in some manner of speaking, romanticize it, if that's even, that's a horrible word. I'm struggling for the right words here, but the thing is, is seeing this in the way that you presented it, it hits home again in a way that really lands. And I, I'm, yeah, I really appreciate that about the film. Well, no, I, I appreciate that comment because the, the two things, one, just from a technical side, you're right. We need to present images that you haven't seen before. Yeah. But on the other side, we're presenting our history, we're presenting the 50s and, and the commercialism and then the 60s and techno we're presenting lives that we relate to and recognize right. and that we're seeing it from a different way for the first time so that's that's the sneaky part we're seeing things that that we recognize yes but we don't recognize our pathway into it yeah. i think that's where the, the sneaking up comes from yeah i think you're right you're right. You're right. Well, I congratulations. I hope so. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. a lot of stuff happens accidentally when you make a movie, but that was one thing I actually tried to do. Well, no, and and that's what I'm. Yeah, and, and uh, it, it, because there has there have been a, a a fair number of films about the uh, about the Holocaust and a fair number of documentary films as well. So it's 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 a testament to to your ability to put a story together to focus on something that we don't normally see. Um, showcased in these in these films, which is that time after living the rest of your life out, and and in in in, in a place where people don't want to know what happened, yeah. uh, oftentimes. So so that puts people that have gone through it in kind of a box, and their these women's ability to navigate all of that, and and then for them to turn around and present their story to you as a filmmaker, it's just a really wonderful experience to go through. With you when and you, with yeah, them. Thank you. When you have when you have amazing people like that telling incredible stories, sometimes you just listen and get out of the way. Yeah. And just well. let them let them go, and that's that's what it is. We're, it, we, I was lucky to find these six women, and I'm I'm really happy with how the film turned out. I'm happy with how people are reacting to it. Audiences seem to be connecting to them. End of the day, that's all they wanted. They want to feel a part of our society, a part of our world. So it, it, it makes me happy that 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 we're doing that. Well, you are, and congratulations to you, John Keane, for your work here, and I look forward to uh, future future projects. I hope you'll uh, be able to come back and join us. It has been a pleasure talking to you about the film is After Auschwitz. We've been speaking with the writer and director and producer of this film. That would be John Keane. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate you helping me get the word out. 
You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.